0: Right am guys, let that. What's that? I'm not like that. Look at a, a, a big framework today that the lecture uh, structured around the framework of how to tackle health inequalities and we 're going to look at some stuff you probably hadn 't really thought of next the last group. Will like we 're going to look at tax havens and, and all sorts of stuff that you will never have linked uh, health with but it's part of a wider framework. So hopefully you, you will have all looked at um, the uh, on-demand lecture where we looked through the 2010 Marmot Review, Health Inequalities in England, which got some quite a bit of feedback on in terms of reflections. That It was quite eye-opening for people uh, to find out the extent of health inequalities in the UK. Uh, and how, they, how health was socially patterned across so many uh, different um, conditions. So today's lecture is looking at how, how we tackle health inequalities. So just a quick recap. We learned that health is created in the settings of daily life where people are born, grow, live, work and age. That's the social determinants of health across the life course. Okay? Um, and the settings of daily life are determined by the distribution of power, money and resources. And today we're going to turn our attention a little bit to power and money and resources. Well, we're going to look at higher there, that's right. So we, we found, you know, the research showed that the social determinants of health have the biggest impact on life expectancy and healthy life expectancy. They're very important. Again, we saw that there's a social gradient across many diseases. Health is socially patterned. And if you think about it, that's quite a remarkable finding. It's not... It doesn't happen by chance, it's not just because some people are more individually responsible or have more willpower than others. There are really strong social gradients across lots of health and social problems. We had a little look at the um, possible pathways from social conditions to disease. So we saw that one was access to material resources, so yeah, okay, absolute poverty is important, but also relative poverty and relative position in society. So if you have less control over your life, you're not able to participate fully in society, it's more likely that you will experience chronic stress, and that can affect your, your physiology, which make, makes you more susceptible to chronic disease after decades of uh, having very little control over your life. And the third one, which is probably the obvious one for us, is health behaviors. So smoking, drinking, eating a crappy diet, not being physically active. So and again, smoking and drinking and, and all those types of things are very good ways to deal with stress. And then in the video, we saw the quite stark health inequalities in the UK in 2005. So let's move on. So there's uh, this little bit from from one of the studies. If, so you guys, statistically, when you graduate, you're gonna have Higher, you know, again statistically, a higher life expectancy and healthy life expectancy because you've, you're graduates compared to other people who are not. And if everyone over thirty had the same um, benefit of that higher level of education, there would be two hundred and two thousand less premature deaths every year, and that is is more people who've died from COVID. So, again, how? Things outside of the health sector, i.e. your level of education, can impact your life expectancy, healthy life expectancy. We can save many lives by giving everyone the equivalent of, you know, a, a degree-level education. So, health inequalities—they're um, preventable and unfair. They're preventable because they're created by the, the way we, we structure society. Um, they're unfair because, because they're preventable. It doesn't have to be that way. And we know, again, I've said power, money, resources, that's the kind of catchphrase, but these health inequalities exist because of the unequal distribution of social, environmental, and economic conditions, you know, power, money, resources in society. And that shapes people's behaviours. And we've seen the social gradient, so everyone below the, the, the richest in society have increasingly worse health and lower life expectancy. And we saw that to take action on this, we need to take, it rolls off the tongue really nicely, a proportionate universalism type approach where we don't just uh, focus all our time, money, and resources on the poorest. We've got to act across society because social gradients act across society. But of course, yes, we've got to put most of our time, money, and resources into those most in need. But we need to improve everyone's health across society, not just focus on those who are worst off. So, here's a bit of an opinion polls, if you go onto the Sol page, so you've read the Marmot review, 2010, have things got better or worse? If you go onto the Sol page, I've got this health inequalities poll, click on that and answer the question, which is, health inequalities in the UK have reduced since 2010. So it got better since 2010. Do you disagree or agree with that? What do you reckon? It's just a hunch. What is your hunch? If things got better, or things got worse? your answers in a minute. So, life expectancy. So life expectancy has been increasing all the way back from the like, 1900s. You remember some of those really early slides where you know, the life expectancy of a, a labourer in Manchester was at like, 15 or something. I this like that. Life expectancy has increased for 100 years. So in 2016, you have females are just below sort of 84, and males just below 78. So there is a, a difference, an inequality between males and females, but it's not necessarily an unfair one. It's just the fact that we have different genders. So life expectancy has been increasing for 100 years. So you might say, what's the problem? No problem. Job done. Go home. But if you remember from the Marmot Review, so we must increase. We must improve health and reduce the gaps in, in uh, health inequalities. Reduce the differences. And the trouble is that the inequalities have been getting worse uh, since 2010. Why? Yeah, why is it no Because possibly it was a genetic thing. We have we have um, males have testosterone and higher risk of heart disease and lots of stuff. So. There's a genetic difference between males and females, although there's a social element to this as well, because male life expectancy has been increasing faster than female life expectancy, because of social conditions. But women tend to outlive men in general, because we have different genders, possibly to do with testosterone, and then I'll risk of this, that and the other. But, so there's a genetic and social issue. Social issues. We've been living longer, in, closing the gap, but there's still
1: the gap. So it's not like typically when I like harder, not harder, like, physical jobs. It's not like like
0: that. There's probably lots of different social and genetic reasons. Because I'm not a doctor, I can't roll them all off. But in all countries across time, men live shorter lives than women. It's so unfair. Um, right, let's watch this. Let's watch this. New report from Channel 4. Oh, sorry. Okay. Right. 2017, we started to discover that life expectancy was slowing in the
2: UK. Now, for decades, life expectancy has been steadily going up. But new analysis shows that, unlike other rich countries like Hong Kong or Japan, in England it has dramatically stalled since 2010 when the Conservatives introduced austerity. Experts say it could be linked to what they call miserly spending on health and social care. The Department of Health insists the NHS
3: has just been rated the number one healthcare system in the world. Our Home Affairs correspondent Andy Davis reports from Bristol. Nearly 100 years ago, men in Britain lived for an average of just 52 and a half years, women 56. In a century, life expectancy rates have risen sharply. And something has changed in the last few years, says the leading health expert, Sir Michael Marmot, And his analysis of figures for England leaves him, he says, deeply concerned. Up until 2010, life expectancy at birth for women in England had been increasing on average by one year every five years, and for men by one year every three and a half years. But since 2010, the rate of that growth has almost halved, as women will only live a year longer every ten years and then just one extra year every six. Why exactly? He's not sure. Levels of dementia may have played an important part, he says, but it's his comments on austerity which have generated the most attention. Well, I think austerity will impact on the quality of life
2: of older people, particularly with multiple needs, including Mm -hmm. dementia and Alzheimer's, because a reduction in spending on social care, a failure of health care expenditure to increase in line with historical trends will have an adverse impact on the quality of life of older people. It might, but I don't know this, also contribute to shortening the length of life.
4: In the Life Centre in the east of Bristol today, a weekly lunch club
3: run by the Bristol and Anchor Arts charity. Do the people here think austerity may be a factor in the slowing of England's life expectancy rate rise?
1: I would say so, because I think if you can can educate people, if you've got sufficient social services, and you can educate people and assist them with diet and health and fitness, you are going to improve people's prospects of living longer. And do you think that's diminished in the last 10 years? Yeah, I would say so. Have you noticed any change
3: in the last 10 years in terms of... Mm -hmm. What sort of public services you can get access to?
2: Well, I think um,
3: I had a stroke about two or three years ago,
4: and
2: the help that you used to get ongoing has been cut off. It only lasts for like ten weeks or anything like that.
1: I have got a lot of things wrong with me, but I've got a marvellous surgery,
2: and they are brilliant. I think I should get to hundred, you know, because they are so good.
3: So you've had a very good experience with it. Uh, health services and care services and you do think it's changed? No, I don't think so. Geographical inequalities have persisted, notes Michael Marmot in today's paper. Take Blackpool where the average life expectancy there is nine years fewer for men than it is in Kensington and Chelsea, and in Manchester women live seven years fewer on average than women in the London Borough. In Kensington and Chelsea itself, said Professor Marmot today, the life expectancy gap between the richest and the poorest is 16 years. In Bristol, it's 10 years between some neighborhoods. In response, the Department of Health said that the NHS was recently rated the number one health service in the world, with life expectancy rates continuing to rise. We continue to invest, said a spokesperson today, to ensure our aging population is well-cared.
0: Some indication of life expectancy is it was beginning to slow. Does anyone know what austerity is? Does anyone know what the global financial crash of 2009 is? Because a lot of you have been quite young in 2009, and you probably probably passed you by. Um, so I'll quickly tell you, so in 2009 um, the banking system across the globe basically collapsed because banks have engaged in lots of very high risk activity, regulations have been kind of loosened, and eventually this led to banks going bankrupt. Okay. And what happened? Uh, to avoid a complete global cat- catastrophe of banks, uh, just closing, um, governments across the world pumped huge amounts of money into the banking system, okay, to the banking system. Billions of pounds into the banking system, which we all pay for via our taxes. So we're all paying. So what the government at the time did is it decided to try and claw back this money, it would um, have a a policy of austerity where it would spend less on public services, so less on the NHS, less on schools, less on everything. And what has happened is that um, services have reduced the conditions of daily life, have perhaps worsened. So if it passed you by 10 years ago, that was the global financial crisis. And in a similar way, I guess, We've just come from through COVID, and we've pumped billions of pounds into the um, the furlough system, track and trace, all these things to support the, a whole economy not crashing. So, austerity seems to have resulted in slow life expectancy. And my, my question is, just from, as a public health professional, what's going to happen in the next ten years? How are we going to deal with this enormous debt? Is it going to be more cutting services, which impacts the conditions of daily life, which results in a slow life expectancy? Or is it a different way of doing things? Because not every country did what we did. Again, health is political, and it's a political choice how you deal with these things. Right. So, a bit of background there. So what we're going to concentrate on today is the Closing the Gap in the Generation report by the World Health Organisation. Really big report. Michael Marmot chaired the commission on the social determinants of health between 2005 (laughs) and 2008 and they produced this big report and you can, I put it on soul, you don't have to read like the 200 pages of the report, you can read the executive summary to get a bit of an overview. But this was to present the evidence on global health inequalities and the social determinants of health to basically say to governments, here's the evidence, do something about this. And there was again a very strong social justice element on it. One of the, some of the front pages here are saying that if you're a girl in some countries you'll live to 80 years, if you're, you're born in other countries you'll only live to 45 years. The, the inequalities in health between countries are unacceptable and within countries. You know, they put this quite strong statement on there, social injustice is killing people on a grand scale. Okay, these types of things should never happen. Which is quite rare for the WHO to put such a strong message on the report. So. This report and this is this will be the structure of the of the lecture and this will be a useful structure so if you do your assignment on the social determinants of health and health inequalities you know you will use the Marmot review and you know you look at what's happened how things got better and worse and then when in the in the critical section when you come to think how can we make things better you know, you'll use the WHO framework you know, how can we make things better So there's three things that they said we should do. Improve the conditions of daily life, the circumstances where people are born, grow, live, work, and age. Okay, obvious. Uh, Two, tackle the inequitable, i.e., unfair, distribution of money, power, and resources. And it is these things that drive the conditions of daily life. So the unfair distribution of money, power, and resources globally, nationally, and locally drive health inequalities. We've got to tackle third one, there's three points to the third one, is measure the problem, evaluate the action. So, you know, do more research around this, build the evidence base, okay? we've done that, we've got, and also we've got the Marmot Review in the UK, we've got three now, we've got Marmot Reviews in, in the Americas, in Europe, we've got lots of evidence on the social determinants of health. One highlight, is develop a workforce that's trained in the social determinants of health, that's what we're doing now. You're learning about this, okay, and you will have a far more sophisticated understanding of health and disease and you know, any other graduate who's gone on like a you know, personal training or a health and fitness uh, qualification, because you will understand the big picture, not just you know exercise and nutrition. You will understand how it all fits together. And the third one was raise public awareness about the social determinants of health. So, my role is kind of trying to you know do a bit on this report, teaching health and fitness professionals, teaching nurses. And on, the, on the master's degree, I teach on the clinical exercise science. We've got doctors, so I'm teaching some doctors, and they know nothing about this. So their training involves nothing about this whatsoever. They're just trained to treat, uh, identify risk factors, and treat disease. Okay? So they're also finding this fascinating. So anyone who works in health, we've got to understand this. So, improve the conditions of daily life. So we saw the Marmot review, and, and Marmot. Um, as well as presenting all the, the stats on health inequalities, he gave six evidence-based areas of where we must uh, you know, improve things in society. And I've highlighted the ones in yellow because I think that's probably where you can get involved you know, in, in your careers, enabling all children young people and adults to maximise their capabilities and have control over their lives. You might work in schools, you might work you know, in universities, you might you know, work with young people, you know, and exercise, diet, you're helping people to improve their have control over some aspect of it. Create and develop sustainable places and communities, you might work with charities, you might work with the local council to target um, communities who are more in need, or to work with the local council to improve active travel, throughout the course of your career you might broaden that. Strengthening the role and impact of health prevention, that's what you're trying to do for exercise and nutrition, is to stop people getting in the first place. Six areas, some of which you will fit into over the course of your, your career. So just before we um, do the, the activity. So the Marmot Review was published just after the global financial crash, when everything went you know, south a bit, everything was going wrong. And Michael Marmot at the time said, look, after, after the Second World War, you know, society came together Taxes went up on the rich. Um, the beverage report came out saying that you know, we need to create a society with a minimum standard of living that no one falls below. We need to you know, abolish poverty and want the beverage reports. So we set up the welfare state. We set up the NHS after the Second World War. And after wars, pandemics, society tends to come together a bit. So Marmot at the time was saying it's time to do things a bit differently after the global financial crisis. And the question is, were things done differently? Video suggested that you know, life expectancy is stalling, so there was a, been a problem somewhere. Let's see what you think. Let's go to that survey. So thirty-four so percent of people think that or disagree that health inequalities have reduced since 2010. 25 neutral and 37 percent. So it's kind of, hmm, I think people think that health um, inequalities have reduced since 2010. It was split. Excuse me, down the middle with the the previous group. So there's some there's some optimists in the room who think that maybe things have got better. So let's see. So on the sole page, um, I've put a link to the Health Equity in England report. So what we want to do is okay, three tables. So there are some. So on the page there's the Health Equity in England report. And there's a summary. So the page 13, 58, 17, 93, there are summaries of the chapter. Okay. So what I'd like you to do is if this table here at the front, if you guys read page 13, pull out, read the points, discuss the points, what are the, the main points from that? And if you guys, if you read pages 58 and 70, what are the main points that you can pull out from those pages? And you guys, if you read page 93, okay, what are the main points? Have things got better? things got worse, what are the main messages from the summary, okay, so have a little chat about it, and then then we'll feed back to everyone else what you found on those pages. Mm.
3: It's about that, but you can't really. It's going to be really low anyway.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you I'll just write
0: Yeah, let's see if we can uh, draw out some of the main points. Um, let's start with, <coughs> with life expectancy. What, what are some of the key things that's happening mm-hmm. with life expectancy 10 years on? Percentage of life spent in ill health has increased. So people spend more time with chronic disease? Yeah. Not good either. Cheery stuff thus far. The poorest areas have um,
3: the highest preventable mortality rates, and the richest have the lowest.
0: Which I guess we kind of would expect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so like the northwest or the northern areas have the um, lowest life expectancy, um, whereas London seems to be the highest life expectancy.
0: And you kind of might expect that to be linked to kind of socio-economic factors as sort of north is more deprived. We've got that kind of north-south divide in the UK. Anything else? Uh, the UK... Has like the lowest uh, rates of life, life expectancy compared to European and um, high-income countries, mm. and that's a really good point. And um, although I do apologise profusely because all my lectures are quite depressing at this point, looking at what's going wrong, the on-demand bit for later this week will we'll try and look at this, that point and, and look to see if there's hope for a way to do things a bit a bit better. What other countries doing? If we're doing particularly bad in the EU, we've left the EU now. Um, If we're like doing bad, what, what are other countries doing that is increasing their their life expectancy compared to ours? Okay, cool. Anything else? No, it's a fairly depressing collection to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no great points there. Um, okay, so employment and healthy living standards. What did you guys find? So, although employment rates have increased since twenty ten, the amount of like poor, uh, poor quality workers increased. after so there's like jobs <coughs> and insecure employment. Okay, and that's important because we saw you know, employment is a social center of health. And having control over your life is really important. Having Stability and, and zero hours contracts and insecure employment mm-hmm. isn't great for that. Um, okay, so that's so jobs of vacancies or well, employment has gone up great, but quality is perhaps not, not as good. Okay, cool. What else? Oh, cool. What else did we find? Uh, the amount of zero, zero hours contracts also increased. So more insecurity for people. of you know, stress caused by like work or work related has also increased since 2010. So we saw there's you know, a direct pathway for increased levels of chronic stress into, into disease. So work's not looking, uh, not looking super. Anything on healthy standards of living? Page 17. There was um, number of so
1: the families of children the uh, the rates of what was it was
0: so then the rates of them not reaching minimum wage has increased. Okay, so more people in in work poverty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of we we saw some rates that weren't weren't great before. Anything else? Enough. Move on. Yeah, yeah, okay, so again, not, not a great picture of things that have happened over the last ten years. And again, unless you understand social terms of health, you might, might not be linking employment, poverty, and program insecurity in, into health, but we know feed it feeds in. Okay, great. And then the, the last two, two tables here on page 93 about healthy and sustainable places and communities. What have we found?
5: Government spending
0: decrease the most in the most deprived areas. That, that's... Can you make a link to any of the, the principles? I guess a question to everyone. What principle have they just kind of done the opposite? To? It's a, it's a, the principle that doesn't roll off the tongue easily. So the principle universalism is we need to put the most money into the people who are most in need. But what the Marmot report found is that the people who are most in need experience the most cuts in funding, which is the exact opposite to that principle, which isn't very good um, for, for health. OK, so good one straight off the bat. Any other things that you found? In, you work and you might think, well I want to you know, get on the housing ladder now. Yeah. In the UK housing is so expensive, it's so difficult to do it. Will you be stuck into paying very high levels of rent because you can't afford to get a house because house prices are incredibly high in the UK. So you know, these are all things that don't help uh, you know, having a, a healthy society. Um, so over the last 10 years it hasn't been um, really Terms of life expectancy, healthy life expectancy, employment—all these other things. So it hasn't been fantastic. Again, my worry as a public health professional is what is the next ten years going to bring us? Okay, are we going to see more of this this type of um, approach, or are we going to see something different? I mean, uh, the government currently is, is talking about build back better. Um, so we'll see what that actually. Means. Can we do things in a different way to improve the conditions of daily life for people, which will filter down into life expectancy and healthy life expectancy? Michael Marmot has released the COVID nineteen Marmot Review, which basically, uh, well, because we went in and this this was released just before COVID nineteen hit, so we went into the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic with quite poor levels of health and high levels of health inequalities, and the inequalities caused by COVID-19 and the death rates basically map on to all the existing health inequalities in the UK so we didn't go into this pandemic in a really great position the COVID-19 market review we'll look at that in the third year if you're going to go to the pathway we studied which we have for three years you can have a look at it now and see what, what it says you might decide to read a bit fit, and bring it into your assignment um, but you know, we'll look at that in, more in the third year quick video from Michael Marmot on this and then we'll have a little break.
2: The Marmot Review was a review of health inequalities in England. Last year we pointed out that life expectancy had stopped increasing, something that had gone on for more than 90 years an increase of about one year every four years in 2011 slowed down nearly to all. Life expectancy, as a measure of health, tells us a great deal about how we're doing as a society. And the inequalities in health tell us even more about society. So if life expectancy has stopped improving and inequalities are widening, it's really urgent to ask what's going on, what's going wrong. And what can we do about it? We plan to publish a second review exactly on the 10
1: year anniversary of the publication of the Marmot Review. And what we're aiming for in this work is for governments to take more notice. We know that healthcare probably has um, far less um, influence over people's health than other factors such as. Uh, your early life experience, such as whether you have a good job, uh, whether you're living in a crime-free neighbourhood, whether you've got good housing, whether you're educated well, and whether you have a viable and supportive local community, and all those things, or well, a lot of them, are very much affected by the uh, policies uh,
4: by government
1: and also the actions of wider actors other than the communities themselves. And doing it with the health foundation, which is a very important player in the health system, means we've got an important partner. It enables us to do it in a more in-depth way than we could otherwise. This work is very, very important. and uh, It's a major feature of our work at the Health Foundation. And it's particularly pertinent because we see the health improvements that we've taken for granted over the last few decades stall. And we want to get under to the skin about why that's the case, and work out what policies are now needed to remedy them. Okay.
0: So again, this is looking at the big structure of how we make things better. Things haven't been that rosy for the last 10 years. What's going wrong and how can we, how can we fix it? Just before I let you go for a break, you know, there was this um, quote in the, uh, in the Health Equity for England, but the, the last sentence from Michael Marmot put simply, if health has stopped improving, it's a sign that society has stopped improving. So what can we do to make things better for health and society? Well, right, have, a, have a break. Uh, come back. Um, come back. at at 3, and then we'll go through the next bit, OK? Make sure we get move around, have a coffee.
4: <laughs> oh, I do am well, um, not expecting my... mm mm-hmm.
5: I'm <laughs> sorry.
0: Get on with other modules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I can see him there a a smile and a nice smile. again. Yeah. <laughs> next semester.
3: So wait, like, plus, like six <laughs> last like that But Yeah,
1: so it's like you've got yeah. a bench, Because right. remember like a block you see the Yeah. And if you get partial yes. phase it's yeah. positive yeah. if
4: you don't get partial. you. <laughs> that yep. yep. I'm
0: so
1: shocked
0: I did was like, it to say. Looking
5: not that. A
3: piece? <laughs> but and I'll hope you've recovered. I'll do catch up next <laughs> <time."> <laughs> 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 oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah I can <in> <laughs> <laughs> you i I'm I'm not yeah, <laughs> what did you get? Yeah, side. And where
0: did you go? you socials. drinking stuff. You all fresh yourself, the floor. You it What is it? day. <laughs> 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 The that, <laughs> I I oh. Oh. It oh. Guys, did I did I mention when you came in about booking tutorials? Mm. IT. Yeah. <laughs> did I say about the IT problem? It's been a long day. Okay. So, for some of my second years. We're trying to book tutorials and they go on to this page and then it says book a tutorial with me here. And they click on this and it takes them somewhere completely different. You have to, last year, all you guys, because of some data system, you were all automatically enrolled on this tutorial page. This year, you're not. They didn't tell us you're not and I found out you're not. So you have to manually enrol on this FSHSS staff tutorials page. So you just search for it and solve, and then when it comes up, it says it will ask you to enrol. And then when you enrol, you can then click on me, my <coughs> and book a tutorial with me. Okay, but some people can do it, some people can't do it. And that's IT and that's a problem. That's a problem. So you have to find it and enrol in it. Because at some point, sooner, hopefully sooner, rather than later, you want to book a tu- tutorial for me and talk stuff over, and yeah, that's how you do it. Okay, so it's the the page is called FSHSS staff tutorials. If you go onto Sol on yeah. the SOL, and then you you type it into the search oh, bar, it'll, it'll <laughs> come up, and then there should be like a self en- enrol button, and you can just enrol on it. It's a bit of a pain that it. You're not automatically. Mm-hmm. So that will also allow you to book tutorials before you are done. No, Sasha, can I? Sasha. No, Sasha, can I? Sasha. 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 There's an IT issue with booking tutorials with me. On Sol, if you find the FSHSS staff tutorials page, you have to manually enrol in it and then you can click on my name and, and book tutorials with me. Some people can, some people can, but make sure you enrol on that page. got yeah. research methods, you've probably got Scott, he's on there, and then wherever else you'll find when you've with them, you can put tutorials there. And there's staff, office hours, so students. So my tutorial times are Tuesday and Thursday, 10 till 12. So if you just want to catch up, talk to me about something you don't understand, and then as we get towards the assignment, you'll probably want to talk to me about the assignment. So those slots are there for you. So just if you want to talk to me about anything, book a slot and then I can help you. Okay. Right. So last ten years, not fantastic. my worry is what is next year ten years going to bring after coming out of COVID nineteen? Enormous public debt. How are we going to deal with this? Are we going to try and do things differently? Make society a bit better or is it going to be more facetious? Um, It'll I we'll come back. So it's not all bad news because even though the government at the time decided that they would ignore the Marmot Review, and there's a bit of a historical trend with the Black uh, Review in 1980, where it was commissioned and then a new government came and ignored it—a bit of a trend. Some local governments decided that they, they actually really liked what Marmot had to say and they decided to become Marmot cities. So they took Marmot's six recommendations and they applied it within their city. Okay. And I think Manchester, the whole region, is a Marmot region. So there's a number of UK cities uh, and there's a number of EU cities who've become Marmot cities. So it's not all bad news. Um, again, health is political, government rejected it, local government liked it. Uh, thinking back to the Ottawa Charter when that was released in, in the 1980s. Um, again, going back to a bit of uh, historical uh, economics history, in the 1980s this was the birth of neoliberalism. Um, boy, but this is go into too much detail. But it was a new <laughs> economic system that kind of was born in the 1980s. Okay? And What the WHO, with the Ottawa Charter, was recommending was kind of politically unacceptable to a lot of countries, especially America and the UK, and that's why a lot of the Ottawa Charter stuff still hasn't been enacted as much as um, the WHO would have liked, because it doesn't tie in with some uh, political parties thinking of the way things should work. Again, health is political. So, there's some good news. When you do your assignment, if you're doing it on the social determinants of health, in, in the second section about interventions to improve health inequalities, you might use a Marmot, a Marmot city as an example of something where you know, something has worked well to reduce health inequalities. And I've put quite a bit of information and resources on Coventry as a Marmot city on the salt page. So that kind of closes that section. Right, number two. So, number one was improve the conditions of daily life. And we can use the Marmot reviews to show, to give the recommendations to improve the conditions of daily And the second one is tackle the inequitable distribution of power, money, and resources, which are the structural drivers of the conditions of daily life. What does that mean? If we, if we don't have enough money in our economy, for, from tax to you know, pay for hospitals, and nurses, and teachers, and police, and you know, nice built environments, we're gonna have pretty crappy conditions of daily life, which will feed through to life expectancy. So I heard you guys chatting about hamstring flexibility in the break. What what degree program could, in one module, you have hamstring flexibility, and then in my module, we're going to talk about global tax havens? What degree does that? Okay. So no degree, because this is you know you're looking at the you know both ends of the spectrum here, which which is why you know you're going to be much more rounded practitioners when you come out, because you won't under, you, you will understand. All the stuff happening in the gym and training, and also you understand how it all fits into the bigger picture. Right. I would. I'm going to. I've expanded a little bit what I'm going to talk about here because it's in the news at the moment. Has anyone heard of the Pandora Papers? Oh, a few nods. I only had one nod. Another nod. I've got more nods in this class than I had in the, one nod in the last class. Right. The Pandora Papers are. Um, okay, let's explain tax havens first. So, if you're a national government, you have people like us and we work and we pay our taxes, right? Then you have businesses and they pay their taxes. Then you have you know, the super wealthy and they pay their taxes. And then you have transnational corporations that maybe are based not in your country but they do business in your country. They generate income in your country. And they're able to shift their tax. Burden, you know, so they should be paying tax to the UK government, who then spends it on stuff to make our lives better. But they take their profits and they shift them somewhere else so that the, the government cannot take the tax that they owe and spend it on making society better. Okay. Now, a mechanism to do this, and we're not going to get into economics, although health touches on economics <coughs> politics, are global tax havens. So these are places, usually very small countries, who have um, uh, companies who set up in in these countries and they say, bring all your money and put it with us, because you'll pay no tax on it. So through complex financial and legal structures, big companies and very wealthy individuals can take their money and put it in tax havens where it is not reachable by any national So they get to keep all their money, whereas we have to pay our money taxes. Wow! I hear you cry. That's really interesting. (laughs) Tell me more. Well, well, this is important because it links through to health. Okay, links through to health. So we're talking. What we're going to talk about is as well as tax evasion is is wealth inequality. You might have heard. You know, Amazon has made you know huge amounts of money, especially during the pandemic. We're all you you know shopping on Amazon more. They don't pay that well. They pay what is legally required, but they have all these clever financial structures to move their money elsewhere. You might think Starbucks and Costa don't pay their tax. Okay. Oxfam and lots of other um, charities have got lots of campaigns against this. From Oxfam here: eight billionaires own the same wealth as the poorest 3.6 billion people on the planet. Okay, as so many people fit in that golf cart. They've got a big campaign fight inequality, beat poverty. So it's it's a big issue. There's lots of academic papers on this in economics, and there's lots of um, global charities. I mean the World Bank, the UN, Oxfam. There's lots of people who are saying we've got to change this system so that more money is available to governments to create good settings for daily life. So historically, if we think back to the Victorian era, wealth (coughs) inequality was enormous. So the very richest in society, the one percent, owned. 70% 70% of all the wealth in the UK and under 50%, maybe 45% in the US. So over time, this decreased. Until about the 1980s when this new kind of economic theory came into place called neoliberalism. And then wealth inequality started to increase again. So in the UK it started to creep up. In the US, it's, it's really shot up. And we'll look at the US a little bit later on. Um, so in the US, the top 1% of people in the, in the United States own almost forty percent of all the wealth. So, the Pandora Papers. Uh, who are the people? The so the um, international consortium of investigative journalists basically got hold of an enormous data leak from one of these companies in the tax haven, and the BBC. or well, they've been working on it for a year, and they released it to the BBC and the Guardian. So, there's been lots of coverage in the BBC. In the so this is a way that the very wealthiest in the world avoid paying taxes. So they reckon that basically tax agents cost uh, governments about £427 billion pounds a year. So that's money that should be coming to national governments to pay for schools, hospitals, etc. Et uh, and uh, Oxfam released a statement very recently, so this is where our missing hospitals <laughs> are, this is where all the pay for the extra teachers are, the firefighters and the public servants whenever a politician claims there is no money to pay for climate damage and innovation for better jobs for post-covid recovery we know where to look so it's a very hot topic at the moment in the news and, and there's been other data leaks. i just want to try and explain how much money 127 billion is so there's a little um, example which i find, found quite useful so if you had to count to a, mil- a million seconds. If you counted a million seconds, it would take you <coughs> 12 days to count a million seconds. Right? If you counted for a, a billion seconds, it would take you 31 years. Okay. That's the difference between one million and a billion. 12 days versus 31 years. If you wanted to count to a trillion, it would take you 31,700 years. Okay. We're talking about enormous sums that could be used to improve the conditions of daily life. I think born, born, the so that's why the social systems of health are shaped by the distribution of the power and money resources. You've got two things, income, which is what you pay before or after taxes, how it's worked out, and then wealth, and that includes everything that you own. So you know, your income, your savings, your house, your private helicopter, your private yacht, your pension, everything is wealth. Okay. So. Quiz, show of hands quiz, not an online quiz. <laughs> how much wealth does the richest 10% in the UK own? Is it 20%? Is it 37% or 44%? So show of hands, who reckons it's 20%? The richest 10% in the UK, how much do they own? 20% what you reckon? 37%, who reckons
6: it's
0: 37%? Okay. a couple of hands, yes, okay. 44%. It's 44%. So, how much wealth does the poorest 50% in the UK own? 9, 17 or 35%? Who reckons 9%? Quite a few minutes. 17%? And 35%? It's 9%. So wealth inequality in the UK is quite stark. Um, There's a video on... Yeah, let's let's watch it. That's quite interesting. Now, this video was made in 2013. So things have got a bit worse. In Britain, we take pride from living in a fair country. We believe that everyone should be given a chance in life to prosper through skill and hard work, whether as a care worker, shop assistant, soldier civil servant or company boss however is britain as fair as it seems to be how is wealth distributed in britain today imagine the total wealth of
4: the uk is 100 pounds now imagine these people represent the population of the country a new icm poll asked 2000 british people how this wealth should be distributed from those with less wealth to those with more As you can see we think it's right that some people have more wealth than others in a really fair britain we say the richest fifth would have 25 of these coins that's 25 percent more wealth while the poorest fifth would have around 15. even in our ideal world some people will always have more than others but we know we don't live in an ideal world so next the poll asked what we think is the actual of wealth. As you can see, the results are quite different. We think that in Britain the poorest fifth now has about 9% of the wealth, while the richest has more than 40%. That's 40 pounds out of every hundred. Doesn't seem very fair until you see what the real situation is. Not what we think it is, or how we think it should be, but how it really is. We can now see that Britain is not such a fair country after all. The fact is that the richest 20% have 60% of all the wealth. That's almost twice as much as everyone else put together, and a hundred times more than the bottom 20% have. And the richest 1%? Well, they're off the scale. In fact, they have as much wealth as 60% of the population of the UK combined. As for the poorest fifth, if 100 pounds were the total <laughs> they would not even have a whole pound. Next to the richest fifths, 60 pounds, they would only have 60 pence. That's small change. This is the result of over 30 years of growing inequality. If this trend continues, it will be even harder to call Britain a fair country.
0: Learn more at www. Things, things have got worse. So global inequality, wealth inequality is a big issue. Climate change inequality, there's lots of things out there. And why does it matter? Because the distribution of power and money resources impacts health and life expectancy. Um, I'll watch one more quick video from Danny Dawling, Professor Danny Dawling, who saw one of the first videos around um, Glasgow. He does a lot of work. <laughs>
6: Daniel is a professor at Oxford who lots of work around inequality. Um, so very... By 2014, the combined wealth of the 1,000 richest people in the UK had risen to 519 billion, a 55% rise in just four years. And these were the same four years in which most other people in the UK became poorer, in which food banks became normal, in which evictions rose, and the life expectancies of elderly women fell. Just spending that rise over every family living in the UK would have made each more than £6,000 better off one of the very rich wouldn't have noticed that lives. A year later, in 2015, the wealth of the richest 1,000 families had grown again by £28 billion in little more than one year. This took the overall wealth of the 1,000 to more than twice what they had had in 2009, They doubled their money in just six years. It's easy to think that inequality is a fact in life, but we are living in extraordinary times. Britain is fast approaching becoming the most unequal society in the rich world. The growth in wealth inequalities has now reached unprecedented levels. But we haven't even reached a peak yet. If this trend continues, the UK will become a place where the majority of people will pay most of their future income in rent for all of their lives. Clearly, this is unsustainable. It shouldn't go on, but it also can't go on. One reason the super-rich have done so well recently is that there are so many more people to exploit worldwide. But the global population under age 25 is falling rapidly. Soon there won't be ever-expanding markets for the companies the rich invested that profit for so easily. But what can be done in the meantime? One option is to reform we tax property. At the moment, the poor pay a far higher proportion of their income in property tax than the very wealthy. Making this tax more reasonable would raise a huge amount of money for public spending, spending which needs to move towards the European average, just for UK society to function in a more humane way. These ideas don't sound radical because they're not. Even the best-off in society are better off when that society is more fair not heading towards becoming
0: the most unequal society in the affluent world. Okay, more, more shocking stats. Um, just really quick, just a couple more slides on this. Um, so back in 2008, you can see the top 10% of earners. there was a massive gap um, between the top 10% and everyone else, and that's kind of increased in 2018. Um, so wealth inequalities have got worse over the last 10 years. And why does it matter? Um, because uh, we will see countries with lower wealth and income inequality tend to have much better levels of health and well-being and lower levels of social problems. And this is, we'll come to this issue in the third year because it's, it's a very important issue. How does inequality affect health and social problems? Okay, so lots and lots and lots of uh, tax stuff that perhaps you haven't thought about, didn't know about, but is important because it relates to health. Again, do I expect you to be economists? politicians and, and talk about this in detail in your assignments know you, you can reference the recommendations that are made so the WHO in the closing of the gap basically said that uh, we need to combat offshore tax havens and, and curb tax avoidance so governments have more money spent on society uh, and also it would reduce inequalities because it's only the wealthiest in society who can pay their accountants to move money offshore. What do the Marmot reviews say in terms of a uh, healthy standard of living? he talked about a minimum income for healthy living so we saw from the Food Foundation that those uh, you know, in the lower socioeconomic groups would have to pay a really significant amount of their disposable income to actually meet the eat well guidance. Okay. So there are really important things around taxation that impacts health. You don't have to be experts on it but again it's something you need to be aware of. What I would say in terms of your development as professionals is Read, read the news and, and be aware of some of the, the wider issues in terms of politics and economics that, that might impact health. don't have to be an expert, but good to be, be aware of some of these things. How does what you're learning here, what does the academic uh, evidence say, and how can you then listen to news stories and go, hang on a minute, that relates to, to health. And just be, be a bit more aware as professionals. So. Um, Often governments don't like to raise taxes because they think that's going to lose some votes and they'll get kicked out of power. Um, We have lower taxes than some other countries like Denmark, Belgium, Sweden, Finland. We'll look at how those countries are doing later. We have a much lower tax take. And and increasingly people are are willing to pay more tax to create a fairer society. So uh, in 2018, 60% of the UK population who were surveyed were in favour of high taxes, especially to help the NHS back in 2010, that was only 31%. So it's a bit of a change in public opinion. Right, I'm going to whiz through these last two things. Um, so, linked to the unequal, unfair distribution of money, power and resources, we, sh- we showed that there was quite high levels of poverty in the UK. Uh, we'll look at food security more in the third year. Often food insecurity is related. You think, well, okay, developing countries poor countries. There are levels of food insecurity in developed in the developed world. 14% of adults living with kids in the UK suffer from food insecurity. Um, let's watch a short video. So what is moderate to severe uh, sorry, what is moderate to severe food insecurity? So compromising the quality and variety of food, reducing quantities of food, and skipping meals, either feed your kids or experiencing hunger. So that's food insecurity. My third years, wrote their third years. From Nio's electric cars to video platforms,
1: TikTok, from bike dance, we invest in companies that are pushing the envelope. Bailey Gifford, invest in innovation. I'm appalled that any member of Parliament thinks that it's acceptable to see queues like we would have looked back years ago on Eastern Europe. And God, isn't communism terrible that people have to queue for food like this? I mean, one from English, uh...
5: Until the summer, Dame Louise Casey was an advisor to Boris Johnson on homelessness. He was the fifth Prime Minister she's worked for. As the pandemic took hold, she became increasingly concerned at what she saw as failures by the government to tackle child hunger in Britain. This is the United Kingdom in 2020.
1: We should be able to do a better job of looking after the destitute and the hungry that we're doing at the moment. And no, it's not okay to leave that to charity.
5: It simply is not okay. Next week, she'll launch a campaign to ensure no child goes hungry this Christmas and beyond. She's been quietly visiting food banks across the country and is shocked by what she's seen.
1: I think it's the sense of just how grave this is, that I was in a food bank and a really frankly, underweight mother came in. She was skinny as a rake, and she was so hungry because she hadn't uh, fed herself for several days that she ripped open uh, a cake, a Madeira cake, and ate it right in front, of, in front of me on the way back to her car. And I just thought, I talked to her, and I just realized that she has given up everything to make sure her kids are gonna be okay.
5: And she was that hungry, she couldn't wait. She just couldn't wait to get it in her. We spoke to single mum Claire who sometimes skips meals herself so she can feed her three young children. Before the pandemic, she visits the food bank every few months. Now it's every week. She didn't want to show her face because she said she didn't want her children to be judged. So how much of a lifeline then is a food bank like this? For me at the moment, this is vital, this is vital, this is what keeps me and my children going. Well, how does the prospect of Christmas strike you? At the moment, I just want to put my head in my hands and cry. I'm actually thinking, how am I going to get any money for their presents? I'm just about thinking, like, we're relying on food banks for donations to eat, let alone buying a single present. Voice and Mia set up this food bank in North London at the start of the pandemic. He says demand for
1: food
2: parcels has soared 68%
5: during the second lockdown. When you first saw the queues stretching down the street, how did that strike you? We didn't,
4: we didn't expect it. Um, when uh, initially we didn't actually put the lines up because we expected a couple of people to come to the community centre. Uh, but then when we saw people kind of snaking around the building, we realised actually the, the scale of the problem and the challenge that we were facing. Dame Ease says some food banks
5: are seeing rising demand coincide with a worrying drop in donations. I think the fact that there are more food banks than there are uh, McDonald's outlets
1: points to a country that is on its knees when it comes to destitution and when it comes to people that are hungry. Now, there will always be some people that we think are spending their money on the wrong thing. People just need to put that away during COVID-19, we need not just into Christmas, but right through until the clocks change again, to have a culture of kindness back. We need to make sure that everybody isn't lonely, that people aren't going without, and that kids have shoes and food in their stomachs, and that it Okay,
0: so, food insecurity is a problem. Um, now, I realise this is quite a heavy lecture again. global tax policy being, you know, on the menu. So I'll, I'll just share this, uh, we won't do this activity. So I'll just show you, trust. so Trust of Trust, there's a couple of links to charities. Trust of Trust, who is a food bank network, and Fair Share, who basically take lots of food from um, supermarkets and, and restaurants and then distribute them to charities. So in the Trust of Trust stats, again, if you're interested, you can go and have a look. But basically, in the last five years, their, their food bank need has increased um, by 128%. Five years, so they're basically putting out two and a half million meals in food banks in, in the UK. Currently. So, we, we have a bit of a, a problem. You know, how do we, how we fix things? How do we do big things better? You know, the kind of tagline at the moment is built you know, from Boris Johnson, it's build back better. Um, you know, Marmot suggests we, we've got to build back fairer. So, how do we do things better? So, last one, the last uh, part of the WHO strategy. Is to uh, you know, measure the problem, evaluate action, expand the knowledge base. So all the academic research we've seen, you know, the Marmot reviews in the UK, the Marmot reviews you know, in, in the US in Europe, etc. So we've got we've got really strong evidence around this. Develop a workforce that's trained in the social determinants of health. That's what we're doing. You guys understand. You are understanding the big picture. And the third one is raise public awareness about the social determinants of health. So why is that? The thought behind this is that, often, um, political parties will not change. They won't change until there's demand from the voters. I guess. So if we can, a little bit like the climate crisis, I mean, we've known about climate, um, the impact of you know, our activity on the climate since the 1970s. And then in the 1990s, there was you know, a real strong building of the evidence. But it's taken all the way up to about now for us to really start doing stuff, okay. partially because public opinion has changed. So the idea is if we can make the public more aware of the social determinants of health and how important they are, public opinion will start to shift and then political parties will actually change their policy to you know, improve the social determinants of health. So this was your, um, your views. So in 2017, the Health Foundation put in a few questions to the British Attitude Survey uh, and you answered these questions, this was your pre-module survey. So there are a few differences between the British, general British public's attitude and your responses to this, so for example if we look at, so these are the social determinants and if we ask how important do you think these are, the blue is, they have quite a large impact on life expectancy or health and the oranges are very large. So, the general population thought that friendliness of neighbourhood was, was more important than you guys, you only gave that a six for very large, which was 21% of the general population. And in terms of individual behaviours, you've put a much higher percentage, 72% of a very large impact impact on life expectancy and health from individual behaviour. So there's a slight difference between your views and the general public's views, which is interesting. And on the question around who is responsible for health, one, the individual, five, the government, and that kind of scale in between. The British Attitude Survey, interestingly, they thought that it was more about individual responsibility than you guys, slightly counter to this one, and you thought more than the general public that it was more about the uh, balance between government and the individual. So some interesting differences between your views and the public's views. So one of my third year students is doing his dissertation on this area, and I'll probably do my PhD around this area. So just planting the seed, if you're interested in the perception of the public, by the public, of the social determinants of how we might change that, how we might create messages as research going on around how we you know, raise awareness and what messages to use, that that could be a project, could be a dissertation, if you find this type of thing interesting, if it's totally mind-numbingly I mean boring, don't worry. But you know, there's some research potential here. So, the Health Foundation are, are doing this piece of work to try and rate, to try and understand what the public think about the social determinants of health, and then how we create messages to change opinion so it, it becomes more important with democratic voters, and then they will demand politicians do something to address some of the issues that we've looked at here. Um, so. I'll leave you with this. So in their research, the Health Foundation, basically, in in interviews with many, many members of the public, it kind of uh, tried to categorise how members of the public thought about health. Now this one is familiar, the absence of disease. So defining health as not being ill, rather than as a positive state of well-being. So we saw that right at the start in terms of what health used to be defined as. Health is medical, it's all about healthcare, health is individualism. It's all about individual choice. Mentalism is just about willpower, the lack of willpower. Your genetic, it's all about your genetics. Health consum- consumerism is quite interesting. So the belief that money allows people to buy good or better health by adopting healthier lifestyles. And then you've got two um, behavioural constraints, recognising the social and environmental factors can influence health and cultural norms, seeing communities and families as having important impact. So you've got many individualistic kind of strains and um, two ecological strains. So I guess maybe just planting the seed is, when you're talking to your clients, or when you're talking to other health and fitness professionals, what strains of kind of, what cultural models can you detect in your conversations? And has your cultural model changed a little bit? Has learning about some of this stuff shifted the way that you think about? So, I'm just going to leave you with that. It's just something to ponder over the next couple of uh, years or conversations that you're having with with people. So, the next part, the on demand lecture, is going to be slightly more positive. It's going to be looking at what we can do around around income and wealth inequality and looking at the countries that are doing better than us, often the Nordic countries. They've got much better. Life expectancy, healthy life expectancy, psychological well being, lower levels of obesity, better levels of mental health, many, many better things than, than we've got in the UK. And we're doing better than you, the US. So we're going to look at what are the things that we should be doing to, to kind of create a healthy society. We'll also look at the World Happiness Index, which kind of is a, a United Nations survey that looks at psychological well being. Again, showing that the Nordic countries are much happier countries than us. So that'll be the on-demand thing, a bit of a more positive, hopeful lecture than obviously <laughs> my kid, which are soul-destroying um, in terms of their message, sorry about that. Um, but thanks very much for your attention today, guys. I'll let you go a bit early, because it's a heavy one. So I'll release that stuff uh, tomorrow, and then you can have a new Next week, I'll put some instructions up. But it's all about you guys looking in your own time in a structured way at Public Health England's resources. I'll put all the instructions up. But there won't be any face-to-face next week. It'll all be you guys researching Public Health England stuff, which will help you in terms. You want to book a tutorial with me? Please do. Happy to uh, the help.